Amen. We just sang truth. Amen. It's in the power of Christ and that power alone that we are able to stand. What a beautiful truth it is. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter number 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And we've been, by way of reminder, we've made our way through the book of Hebrews, and I stopped after chapter 5. I don't like interrupting a book, but I really felt the Lord compelling me uh, to take just a short break and focus on reaching others and to have the day that we had this past week. I really felt the Lord leading me in that direction, and I've learned when God's nudging, you don't ignore it. So I wanted to take a short break, but here we are in chapter number 6. Just by way of reminder, we looked at some warnings in chapter 5 last time we were in this book, and the major warnings were that of immaturity, immaturity. And so we're going to pick up this morning where we left off, and I'll give just a little bit more of a refresher before we go any further. Look with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter number 6, and our context is going to be read uh, and explained. The thrust of the message is going to be in the first three verses. But for this morning, let's read the first 12 verses of chapter 6, if you would with me, please. Word of the Lord there says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, And put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. And things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Father, we come before you ready for inspection. And Father, let the Holy Spirit look in each and every one of our hearts and our lives. 
This morning we beg of you, Father, that you would call to repent, to remembrance the things that we have in our life that we need to repent of, that we need to turn from, in faith turn to you. Father, I believe there are some here today who may not know you as Savior. They may not know you personally. They may not have that relationship with you. I believe, Father, there may even be some here today who think that they know you, but they're robed in rags of religion. And, Father, there are some here, Lord, that do know you as their personal Savior, but they've allowed themselves to be stunted in their growth and remain immature. And then, Father, there are some that are pursuing maturity. So, Father, use your word to speak to each and every life individually as you so masterfully do. I beg of you to hide me behind your words. And Father, speak through me as you speak to me. It's in your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> We've had a wonderful service thus far, and I'm excited of what's going on with the children and what's taking place all around the campus. A lot of opportunities are afforded the people who call Liberty Bible Church home. There are a lot of opportunities afforded anyone who attends Liberty Bible Church. And this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just discuss for a moment the idea of immaturity and moving on in maturity. I think sometimes we leave behind uh, any idea that there's a responsibility that we have been given by God. We seem to think that when we're born again by the Spirit of God, everything is done for us and there's nothing for us to endeavor in. There's nothing for us to pursue. There's nothing for us to have. Now, understand something. You cannot do anything to earn salvation. You cannot do enough to be saved. That is something that only the Lord Jesus Christ can do. He says, no man comes to the Father but by me. We believe this wholeheartedly, but that does not mean that you have no responsibility in the Christian life. And so we looked when we were in chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews, we made our way through, and uh, one of the things that we kind of focused in on idea of milk and strong meat. This is to be taken very seriously. It's not to be ignored, these warnings of immaturity, and not to be uh, taken in uh, any flippant way. So if there's any thought in our mind this morning of, well, this is for someone else, or this is not something that I need to be that concerned about, then I want you, if, if you have any concern for the Lord Jesus Christ at all, I'm going to ask you to put that from your mind. I want you to kind of grasp for just a minute the idea. Some people seem to think that spiritual maturity is only for an elite group of Christians. It's like you have you have your starter Christians, you have your middle-of-the-road Christians, and then you have your pious, your spiritually elite. And spiritual maturity is only for those. 
My friend, that is not anywhere close to the truth. Spiritual maturity is for anyone who calls Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. It's an expectation that we mature. As we looked at this, we noticed that they had rejected the people that were uh, the the Jewish uh, believers that the writer of Hebrews here is addressing. They had rejected growth at a specific stage, and he was trying to get them uh, to quit preferring childhood and grow past certain things, to grow beyond. You know, t- today people, they, they jokingly refer to making uh, responsible decisions as adulting. I'm adulting today, or I had to adult today. You know, you've got the uh, you've got the uh, young uh, crowd that <clears throat> they seem to think that well, if I have to take responsibility, then I, I guess I guess I'll be an adult for now. And this this idea in society that adulting is a drag and it needs to be something well, it's something only boomers do. You know, <laughs> back off, boomer. No, no. It's time for us to wake up and learn some responsibility. It's time for us to wake up and learn responsibility, not only in, uh, in our physical world around us, but it's time for us to mature spiritually. You know, the preacher here, he shames the Hebrew uh, believers. He does this lovingly. He does not do it to try to beat them while they're down. He's letting them know that this maintaining milk as opposed to meat and continuing to go back to milk and not embracing meat, he lets them know that this is a problem and it needs to be addressed. This is not cute. You know, we we sometimes joke about things like this and and we say, well, (laughs) well, he's just an immature kind of guy. No, it's not cute. And especially when it comes to those who are born again by the Spirit of God, it is not cute for someone who has been saved any amount of time to reject maturity and maintain spiritual immaturity. It's not cute. It's shameful. And it's dangerous. And this is what chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews begins to deal with. When we were in here, we looked at the, uh, the idea of recognizing immaturity in our life. <clears throat> and sadly, have you ever noticed that sadly, the people who are immature do not recognize their immaturity? It's easy for us to notice the immaturity in someone else, is it not? When you see someone making a decision that you know this is a bad decision and this is not the right way to go, and you come to them and you say, dear brother, dear sister, this is not the right idea. This is, this is something that it, it, you shouldn't be doing. You need to not be doing this. You are born again by the Spirit of God, and this is an area of your life that needs to be addressed. You shouldn't be living this way. And they say, there's nothing wrong with that. You can see the immaturity. You can see the direction that they're going spiritually as a bad direction, and you you want more for them, so you lovingly go, you lovingly confront, and yet they reject. You see, sadly, many 
that are immature are the last ones to notice. It's kind of like when I was growing up and my dad would tell me, I, I think you need to do this, son. Now, I got it taken care of. No worries. I got it. I'm good. Only to find out a few days later I should have done it that way. I just did what? I proved my immaturity. As you grow, you learn, and you learn from the mistakes. And all of a sudden, that guy that I thought was so foolish before, he's not as dumb as I once thought. So that's maturity. As you mature, you start to grow from those things. And so noticing this maturity can be very heartbreaking. So let me give you just a couple of, uh, of, of examples from when we were in chapter 5. Uh, four things I'm going to point out to you from there before we get into today. We've noticed a few things. Number one, are you consistently uh, asking questions about what you should already know? And perhaps you're asking different people, okay, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but, but is, is, is this okay? Or should I be doing, maybe if, it is okay if I do it from this angle or because I had this reasoning and you start going back and forth with that, you know what you're doing is wrong, but you, you're, you keep asking a bunch of people about it because you're hoping for a different answer to justify what you want to do. That's immaturity. Well, how else can I know if I'm immaturity? Are you easily offended by truth when you are confronted with immaturity? Are you easily offended? Well, who do you think you are to tell me how I ought to live? Are, are you willing to respond obediently to truth, or are you unwilling to respond obediently? A young lady asked me recently uh, about... Uh, uh, the idea of uh, John writing, and he said, those who continue in my word. <laughs> What's all this about? And I'm like, well, evidence of someone truly being born again is their obedience to God's word. That's evidence. If I am disobedient, continually disobedient to God's word, what evidence do I have? And so that's the explanation of that passage I gave her. Uh, are you satisfied? Let me get, let, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Are you satisfied with your current spiritual level of maturity? Many of us would maybe not want to, but in the back of my mind, we're saying, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I think I'm doing I'm, I'm doing okay, preacher. This is for somebody else, not me. That's an that's an evidence of immaturity. The mature wants to continue to grow. Wants to continue to move forward. And so, how do we overcome maturity? We looked at that. It's very simple. Obedience. Remember the old children's uh, song, the old kids' song. I don't know if you all sang it. We sang it when we were kids. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Yeah, a couple of you. That's how I learned. I, to this day, I still spell obedience. O B E D I E N C E. All right, I got it right. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Right. So, how do you overcome maturity? Simply practice the truth that you know. 
You know you should not be doing something that you're doing? Stop. You know that you should be doing something that you're not doing? Start. It's as simple as we can make it. And you're going to start progressing in maturity. And so the question comes in, why should I mature? Why does it matter? Why, what really is the need in this? I want you to understand something. You will never, never, never mature as long as you refuse to obey in areas you know you are wrong. If there's something that the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you of at this very moment or this day, you have been convicted of it and you know that there's something that you need to address and you are refusing to do so, you will never be able to mature past the point you are. Won't happen. Because God is speaking to you and you're refusing to obey, you can't grow. You can't. I want you to notice in the first three verses of chapter 6 here in the book of Hebrews, there are some foundational doctrines that he encourages us on. I want you to notice verse number 1. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let's clear up any mud before we go any further. You know that word, therefore, I put it in there, I, I tell you all the time. Whenever you see the word, therefore, see what it's there for. It's directing you back to what we saw in chapter 5, the warnings of immaturity and remaining in, in milk as opposed to moving on to meat. And so he's, what he's saying, this, this therefore could be stated this way, since it is so important and expected that we move into meat, let us leave, okay? And so what he's, what he's trying to get us to understand is the magnitude and that there is a, an expectation leveled on us. You should not remain on milk. You should move on to meat. Well, preacher, I'm just not a meat type of person. I'm a vegetarian. Well, you're still staying on milk, and if you're a vegetarian, you're not a very good. Start chewing your broccoli, right? What he's trying to get us to understand is the importance of it here, and he gives us three sets of couples that we need to move on from. <clears throat> I'll explain that here in just a moment, but those three sets of couples are repentance and faith, washings or baptisms and the laying on of hands, resurrection and judgment. Those are the three sets. And we're going to look at those. These, these are what we're going to examine this morning. And we're going to examine them as sort of a foundational uh, Christianity 101. Now, this, where he says in verse number one, therefore, leaving the principles, the idea is not leaving as in abandonment. That's not what he's talking about, but progressing beyond. And so I do not abandon the truths or the foundational truths. I do not abandon the principles of the doctrine of Christ, but it's time for me to move on past them is what he's saying. Many people, many times we get stuck on one little thing back here and we never grow beyond the very first part, the Christianity 101 stage. We never grow past that because we have not left the starting line. We're stuck right here. 
The pistol has fired. And yet we have not left the starting line. If you saw a horse race and the gates opened and one of the horses just stood there, that would be my horse. If I was ever in a horse race, I would probably get on old reliable, right? In the big Clydesdale that's like 400 years old. And I would be in there ready to go. And you have all these little jockeys that are half as big as me. And they're ready to go on their mighty stallions. And here I am, I'm sitting. And all of a sudden, the the pistol fires, the gates open, the whistle blows. And he goes, frunk, he just sits down. That would be my horse. There's a lot of Christians living that lifestyle. Just sitting down. And Paul says, run the race. He doesn't say stay seated. He doesn't say walk the race. He doesn't even say a nice leisurely jog. He says, run. Run. I want you to notice a few things with this. The first portion of it that we're going to be looking at here. The preacher was in no way trying to say that it's time for us to lay the foundation again. He's actually saying that to the contrary. See there in verse 6, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. In other words, what he's saying is, by this time, you should fully understand the idea of repentance from and faith toward. But there's so many of us that we, we never really get this idea. And, and, and we move from, uh, from uh, this uh, reading of a, uh, a sinner's prayer, and we never progress anything past that. We don't understand repentance. We don't understand what our faith is in. We're still trying to do things on our own. We're still trying to make it. We're still trying to, uh, no, 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 friend. It's time for us to wake up to the reality of what's going on here. It's time for us to turn and repent from our dead works. And it's, it, Paul is saying with this, he says it's, it's something that we need to not keep digging up. We need to understand it and go forth from this point. But we, we have so many today, some say that faith is all you need. Listen, I understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. But if you don't know what you're turning from, how are you turning to anything? And this is where repentance comes into play. I have to see that what I'm doing is not getting me there. The, the, the methods I'm trying, it's not making me anywhere. I'm just spinning my wheels, and I turn from myself. I turn from my wicked ways, and I, in faith, Turn to him. Sadly, there's a lot of people who really don't get that. The person who has turned from themselves and in faith turned to Christ is not going to say, I'm following Christ, but I'm still holding on to this over here. They're not going to say, I said my prayer, and I'm going to heaven. I'm set, but don't expect me to give up anything. 
They've never repented and turned from. They're only trying to add him to. It doesn't work that way. I don't go through my life. I'm going to focus on myself. I'm going to focus on my career. I'm going to focus on my money. I'm going to focus on my wife. I'm going to focus on my kids. I'm going to make sure my kids are happy. They have every opportunity. And Jesus, come on, you can go with me. Eh, Stop. Doesn't work that way. He says, I'm going this way. And if you want, you're welcome to come. But so many of us, we just want to drag Jesus along our way. And we say, I got faith. I got faith. No, you don't. You're still trying to do things your way. If you had faith, you'd do it his way. If you had faith, you'd quit focusing on your dead work. Well, I got to make sure that my kids are, are, are set and they're, they're happy and they're, they're, no, 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 no. Ho, ho, ho. Nothing better for your children than for a dad that follows Christ. Nothing better for your children, moms, than a mother that follows Christ. You can give them every opportunity under the sun. Make sure to build that 529 account up so they can go to whatever school they want to go to. Make sure to get them their little custom bill account so that they've got all the money in the world in the future. You can do all those kind of things, my friend. But I'm telling you right now, what your children need most is someone who has turned from themselves to Christ. That's what they need most. I think I just heard a cotton ball hit the floor in the other room. I want you to understand, in order to trust someone, I have to abandon something or someone else. Have you ever watched someone, a lifeguard, pull someone from the water? There's, they teach you when you're going through those lifeguard classes, they teach you to come from behind, and when you're trying to pull someone out of the water, they are so flailing, they can easily take you down with them. And so they have to quit fighting and let you get them to safety. And so when you're there and you're trying to pull them out of the water, you know, the whole time you're saying, don't struggle. Just let me take care of you. Don't struggle. I've got this taken care of. I got it under control. Don't struggle. But if that person doesn't have faith in the one that's trying to save them, they're going to continue to flail. And eventually, the lifeguard will have to let go. Please do not misread what I'm trying to tell you. I am not saying that Jesus will let go of you. What I am saying is he will not force himself upon you. You have to let him save you, which means you have to turn from yourself, from your own methods, your own merit. To him. The Christian foundational experience there, repentance and faith going hand in hand, and without turning from, you will never turn to. But I want you to notice the second thing that he brings up there in verse number two. He says, of doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands. 
of doctrines of baptism and laying on of hands. You see, we had the, the, uh, the foundational Christian experience. Now we have the continued Christian experience. And the preacher turns from the foundational to the customary practices of identification, so to speak. Now, this, this word for baptisms is plural. It's in the plural. And it's important for us to see that because he's not talking about that time where you get saved and then you get baptized and join the church. He's talking more than, more than that. He's talking about um, the, the ritualistic cleansings and washings that they would have gone. Remember, he's speaking to the Jewish believers. An example of this is seen in chapter 9. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Just flip over a couple pages. Hebrews chapter number 9, and just, I'm not going to go into this in real, uh, real, real deeply, uh, just look at, um, look at verse 10, <clears throat> we'll just call it there, which stood only in meats and in drinks in divers washings, different time, diverse types of washings, and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. This verse 10, as we, when we get into chapter 9, we're going to start to see the way that uh, the Levitical law was set up and the way the priests had to go through and the Levites had to go through certain types of washings. This is the same word that's being used. And so it was a symbol. It wasn't something, the, the water did nothing, but what it was was it was a symbolic showing that my hands are clean. It's a symbolic showing of their clean, cleansing themselves so that they were able to go in. It was the symbolism that they were trying to get, uh, get across. It wasn't that this water was magic or anything, and that it was some sort of blessed water, and whenever they came in and they grabbed hold of that water, something miraculous took place. That wasn't the case. It was a symbolic thing. And this is what is being spoken about here in chapter 6, verse 2. It says, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands. And so these are the continued Christian experience. Baptism here is, uh, is more in reference uh, to this is what happened to me. I was dead, I am alive. We read it in our responsive reading. I am crucified with Christ. And so it's the symbolism of what takes place. The baptismal waters do not save a person. And we need to get this down, Christianity 101. But then in the laying on of hands was an outward symbol of the Holy Spirit's gifting. Again, symbolic, symbolic when they laid their hands on someone. Uh, not too long ago, I was in a, uh, uh, an ordination service of a, another pastor in the area. And they called us up at one point where we all were able to place our hands. Once the, uh, they had voted and everything, everybody was happy. He has been dis, uh, determined to be ordained. We placed our hands on him and we prayed for him, showing symbolizing the Holy Spirit's gifting upon him. It wasn't because we laid our hands on him that all of a sudden miraculous things happened in his life and now he's ordained to be. No, 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 no. We were simply saying we recognize his calling. The question that comes into this is where's our focus? You see, so many place such a high importance on the traditions and rituals that they completely miss 
the point. Well, I like a certain kind of music. And I don't like another kind of music. I'm not talking about whether something's doctrinally sound or not. We have standards. I'm talking about the preferential. But that's not what I'm used to. Okay? Might not be what you're used to, but is it wrong? And so many people got hung up on the traditions or the ritualistic symbolism that they lost sight of what they were supposed to be symbolizing. The change was what was important. We cannot miss the point. Number three, look at chapter six again, verse two. The second half of it says, and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. These last two are also very easily entrapping. Very easily entrapping. If you remember, in John chapter 21, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he lets Peter know what's going to happen to him. And Peter looks, points over John, he says, but what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, if I, if I will that he would tarry until I return, what is that to you? Just follow me. There's so much that is placed in that that we need not overlook. So many are so focused and get so hung up on end times. And, and the writer of Hebrews, now I'm not saying that end times theology is not something to study. It's not what I'm saying. So before you come up to me and you charge the pulpit, just back off for a second. I am saying there's some more important things. Jesus himself said that. He says it's not for you to know the times. There's some more important things that we need to be focused on. So basically, understand that there is coming a day when all will be raised and judged. That's enough. Is that not important enough? Why do I need to argue over when it's going to happen? While I'm arguing, it'll happen. And rather than arguing over when it's going to happen, I could have been following him. But I got hung up. My spiritual, spiritual maturity was put on hold. Please don't misunderstand me. The writer of Hebrews is not saying these things are not important, but what he is saying is don't get stalled. Move forward. It's so easy to get hung up on future events that we completely miss the idea of following him. Now, I want you to notice verse 3, and then we're going to make our conclusion. And this will we do if God permit. This is a tough one sometimes. Because if we're not careful, we'll look at this and we'll say, so basically, we'll move on if God wants me to move on. 
Jesus said, follow me. He said, do as I do. He says, go and do likewise. Paul, in his epistles, he wrote several times where we are to follow, to make ourselves moving forward, to keep ourselves moving forward. He even said this. He said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And so I don't think it is not God's will for you and I to mature. The question is not whether or not God wants us to mature, but if we are truly His and able to mature. I want you to catch this. God desires our spiritual growth. The focus is on verse number three, the first portion of it, and this will we do. I mean... (laughs) I'll see you at church Sunday. Good Lord willing. Hang on. So it wasn't God's will for me to go to church? Or does God want me to go to church? I think God wants me to go to church. Pretty sure. Um, I don't think that's what the person intends to say when he says, good Lord willing. He says, I'll do the best that I can. And if God does not take me home and make me unable, then I'm going to be there. That's what they're intending to say. What the, what the writer of Hebrews here is insinuating is that we will do this. The only thing that would prevent is God himself taking me home. I want to give you just a little bit of a glimpse into why I refer to this, and it's going to tie in with the conclusion. I asked earlier, I asked the question, why should I mature? Why should I mature? I'm going to give you two reasons why you should mature, because number one, spiritual immaturity is shameful. Spiritual immaturity is shameful, and it does not fit a child of God. Look with me at a few passages of Scripture to verify this. Go back to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4, this is something that begins uh, the whole look of how we are to be united in the house of God and how we are to act as born-again believers. And so those of us within the church of the living God, we are to act a certain way. And notice what he says in verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You have been called by God. It's time to walk like it, he says. Quit living immature, spiritually dead lives. If you have been called by the Holy Spirit of God, walk that way. 
But he doesn't just stop there. Notice what he says in the book of Colossians, chapter number 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. Colossians, chapter number 1. Again, the Apostle Paul writing, and he doesn't mince words. Look at verse 9 with me. Colossians 1, verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye uh, might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Okay, Paul's for station identification. He wants you to grow. He wants the, the believers in Colossae. He wants them to grow in their knowledge and their understanding, spiritual understanding. Verse number 10, that ye might walk worthy of what? The Lord. In other words, a child of God is expected to walk a certain way. A child of God is expected to live a certain way. A child of God is expected to grow. A child of God is expected to grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, in their understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, in their obedience to his word. And that is because he wants us to walk worthy of the one we claim saved us, changed us, and indwells us. I believe the Holy Spirit of God dwells within me, how dare I not be willing to root out the issues that I have? It's time for me to get mature. Look at another one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Right after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you got 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, we exhorted and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his children. I love that word behave. I ask kids all the time, why do we pronounce it behave, but we pronounce have, have? does it mean to behave? Well, have was the old way of saying have. It used to be hey, and it's have. We have changed it since to have. It literally means to contain. To behave means that I am contained. I have controlled myself. I am under control. There's a lot of Christians that need to learn how to just behave. But look at verse 12 with me. Why? That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. If you are born again by the Spirit of God this morning, you have been called to walk worthy of that calling. And the question is, are you truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God? Because it is a shameful thing to claim that I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, but never exhibit change in my life. That's a shameful thing. 
And this message is shared the same way it was first written, in love. But I want you to also notice the immaturity is dangerous, dangerous, and it is a step toward apostasy. It's a step toward apostasy. We'll look at that more as we get into this chapter. But look at Philippians with me. Philippians chapter number 3. We'll come to our conclusion with this. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, we recently went through the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul says in verse number 12, not as if I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that, uh, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, notice this, as many as be perfect. That word perfect is the same word that we're using as mature, complete. Therefore, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. A stagnant life is a step in the wrong direction, but I want you to notice what what Paul says here about the mature individual. The mature individual is not free of failure, but is able to learn in that failure. And so being mature does not mean I will no longer make mistakes. What it does mean is when I do make mistakes, I will grow from it. I will learn and I will recognize what I could have done differently. But notice the last part that we just read there in verse 15. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded. In other words, if you're not grown up, God shall reveal this to you. Brothers and sisters, what causes me great fear in presenting God's Word is not whether someone in this room is going to disagree with my end-time philosophy. What causes me great angst as I approach this pulpit is not whether someone is going to like the same style music I like. What causes me great angst is 
It's not whether or not someone likes the way I pray or thinks I ought to pray a different way. What causes me fear, trepidation, and an uneasy stomach every time I approach this pulpit is in representing him well, in representing the truth of God correctly, because I know what's at stake, your eternal soul. And I don't want anybody to walk out of here ever thinking, yep, pastor gave me the green card. He must think I'm good to go. I'm already taken care of. And maybe, just maybe, they do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They think they do, but they have never had God speaking to their heart, exposing to them the problem in their life. When they're living in sin and just moving on through this world thinking, I'm okay because I uttered a prayer one day when I was a kid. I'm okay because I got dunked in some water, but they go through this life never questioning whether they're truly born again by the Spirit of God because they don't want to obey. My heart breaks when I see my brothers, the people I love, when I see my sisters that I love dearly with all my heart, saying no to God's word. Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to grow up. Do you find yourself in the midst of stagnancy today? Has there been no real growth that you can think of in your life? I'm not talking about 10 years ago. I'm talking about recent. Do you find yourself making the same mistakes over and over and over again with no real desire to change? Do you find yourself continually returning to the milk? Oh, preacher, don't give me this deep stuff. Just, just, just tell me the crucifixion story. No more beautiful story than Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, please. But do you want to know more about him? I want to know everything I can get my hands on. I want to know everything I can know about him. Perhaps it's an indication that you need to grow up Or maybe it's an indication that you just need to meet him. What about you? What about you? Do you still struggle with laying a foundation? You still struggle with the foundational thoughts. Listen, if you still struggle with the doctrine of salvation, I would not rest until I have examined it in Scripture thoroughly and am fully convinced. I would read 1 John 89 times, and as soon as I was finished on the 89th time, I'd pick it up for another 90. These things have I written unto you that you may know. Iron it out. Are you fully aware of the command and expectation to be mature? 
Are you fully aware of this? Perhaps until today you were just thinking, well, as long as I'm a good Christian, that's all that matters. No, God wants you to be mature. He does not want you to remain a childish Christian. He wants us to grow up. Do you see the danger of immaturity? You, personally. Listen, I've asked myself these questions all week long. It's your turn. And I continue to ask myself these questions. The last, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You see, today, I'm closing my Bibles. You know I'm done. You can put your shoes back on. Wake your partner up. Today, you face a decision. You personally face a decision to move forward and pursue maturity which fits a believer in Christ or to continue moving closer and closer to apostasy because God is always on the move. And if you're standing still, You're not maintaining, you're decreasing. Perhaps you just need to come to know Him as Savior today. I can't urge you enough. Get this right. Get it right, whether you are a child of God. Get it right. And if you are... It's time for us to grow up. There's a lot more danger that's involved, and we'll look at that as we continue through Hebrews. But right now, make it personal. How's your walk with Christ? Father, as we come to you one more time, I ask that you would speak to hearts today that you would guide our thoughts, that they would not be on what's to come later this afternoon, but that, Lord, our attention would be arrested on you and our position in you. So, Father, help us in this. Wake us up, Lord. In the areas that we need to grow up, put a spotlight on it in the areas that we need to move on, would you just show that to us? And the moment we start to say no, I pray, Lord, that you would just squeeze our very soul. Father, we can't say no. But we would say yes. Not to be a better person, because you are worthy of our worship. So, Father, we don't want to grow up so that we could be more palatable to this world or we could look like a better Christian. But, Father, we want to do it as an act of worship. 
that we would walk worthy of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.